Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. For all your favorite characters from the Gillivers, shop the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. Also brought to you by Rode Microphones, the official microphone supplier of Inside the Gillivers. See their entire lineup today at Rode.com. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Broadbent. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 17 of Inside the Gillivers, where we talk all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with great pleasure to welcome tonight's guest. You know her from Better Call Saul and El Camino, uh, ADA Suzanne Erickson, actress Julie Pearl. Julie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It, my pleasure. It's been nice having a little bit of a warm up chat with you off yeah. the air. It's uh, it's fantastic. What a fun way to kick off a Friday uh, Friday evening and Mother's Day weekend. Happy Mother's Day to you and all the great Thank moms out you. there. Thank you. What'd you get me? Um, I'm still working on it. Maybe it might be a bobblehead. Maybe a bobblehead would be great. <laughs> or a road microphone. Okay, and a road microphone. We might be able to make that happen. Awesome. Well, it's very nice to have you here. And as soon as I mentioned you're coming on the air, a lot of people, uh, you know, they got some goosebumps and stuff like that. They really love the character. And, you know, talking to Tom Schnauz, uh, um, Tom was back on as a guest again after being our co-host for 10 episodes. He came back on a few weeks ago and he was talking about there's no small role inside the Gilliverse, no matter what role it is. And I don't know what plans they had for ADA Erickson uh, when they introduced her to the scripts. But she's proving her her worth on the show. And are you surprised? And, and I imagine happy to to see, you know, you know, being written again and again and again. Yeah. When when I came on on season two, they had said it was possibly a recurring role. But I'm an actress. I've done possibly recurring. As one of my friends said, the road to hell is paved with possible recurring. So, you know, you don't really attach anything to it. And. At the time, I didn't really know the whole universe, but it was a great scene. It was a great, you know, I got to meet some of the main cast and whatever. And then as things started evolving and they started really using me in a real way, I mean, that that's amazing. It's what an amazing, amazing group of people to work with. They are. And it will, we're going to talk about that in depth a little bit later on tonight as well, too, about the family environment that we hear so much about from everybody that comes on from from the cast to the crew to you know, it's everybody. So we'll talk about that in depth. Are you doing anything this weekend for Mother's Day? You go, I mean, I know different areas, are, you know, locked in Ontario. We have a pretty strict lockdown ourselves here. But where you are, uh, are you able to do anything? Are you doing anything with the family that you know of? Or Well, I required I have two teenagers. So all I asked was. Sunday morning, no devices. We're going to take a hike and I'm going to get some coffee. Other than that, and everyone has to be nice. That is my plan. There you go. That sounds good. And the devices are good. If you set it up small and simple, you can only be surprised beyond that. Oh, that, that's good. And I noticed I was creeping your Instagram today. Just I like to try to get in the zone a little bit. And I saw some, you know, you talked about hiking. There's nothing like returning to the mountains and things like that. So that's cool to know as well. Yeah. 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 I, I am... My husband once said, um, we were in Sequoia and we were on this crazy, super steep hike. And he looked at me and he said, you're in your happy place, aren't you? And I was like, this is the best. This is all I want. Just everyone around and we're hiking, we're dirty. And then we can come back to the campsite and have a beer. It was awesome. Nice. Nice. Well, I, I hope it goes good for you. And we're doing kind of a similar thing that we're not going out hiking or anything like that this weekend, but it's my better half and I 17th anniversary, Sandra Lee and I this oh, weekend. I just so- celebrated mine last week. Fantastic. Congratulations. As well. Nice. Yeah. We're So we're going to, it's a mother's day slash our anniversary is on Monday. So we're going to celebrate on the weekend, but I like the idea of no devices. I might actually have to to convince her to turn off devices because she's the, the device person here in the house. She's got the phones going, the iPad going, so we'll have to tell her to control herself a little bit. But I, I want to dig in in a second about your, we're going to start off talking about your very first episode on the show, which is kind of significant to one of our sponsors tonight. But before we get that far, can you maybe take us a little bit through the process of getting the role on, on Better Call Saul? So what's interesting about this job It was probably one of my first jobs back auditioning after I had kids. So I had my kids and my husband's an editor and he was on the road for like the first 12 years of our marriage. So I was essentially a single mom. 
And so I, I kind of stepped away from all the other stuff that I did. I worked in arts education. I worked, you know, in TV and film. And I really just focused on voiceover and commercial because they were short stints. They were, you know, I could do it being essentially, you know, a, uh, a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my kids got a little older and a little more self-sufficient. And I thought, okay, I think I'm ready. I'm ready to step back in. And one of the first auditions I had was for Sharon Bialy for this show. And I'm sitting in the waiting room and I remember her coming up to me and saying, oh my God, Julie, it's so nice to see you. I probably hadn't seen her in six years. And she said, what's going on? Where have you been? And I said, honestly, I just took some time off to deal with being a parent and, you know, having a family. And um, she said, you know, that is the best choice you could have ever made. This nice. will always be here for you. And that that is the best choice. And I'm so glad you did that for yourself. And I ended up sending her, I went, I did the audition and I was like, oh, it went well. And then I didn't hear anything. And I sent her a note and I said, I've been looking for the right card to say, thank you for validating my life choices, but that Hallmark doesn't make that card. <laughs> so I just want to thank you. And, you know, if not this job, the next one. And like three hours after I put it in the mail, she called and said, I booked the job. Oh, Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I really want yeah. to have them on the show. We talk about them as being like the, the secret characters to the shows, you know? The greatest, truly, truly, like when when you say that certain casting directors are so actor friendly, I mean, she, oh, that whole office, they just, they just love actors. They respect it. They engage in it. They see it more than just the job. They're just, they're, they are so supportive in everything that they do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to get the opportunity to talk to them just to, and to give our thanks as well too. And I know I kind of speak on behalf of all the people in our chat, all of our friends, you know, uh, that watch the show every week. They're very thankful. If it wasn't for them, you know, who knows who we could have playing some of these roles. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it'd be good, you know, um, but not to the level that we have uh, from, from their Again, agency. I, I just, I'm so impressed with, first of all, they're all theater goers mm-hmm. and, so they they take it to like the base element of what it is to be an actor. And I, I just I'm so impressed with who they are. And they're and, you know, all three of them, they're they're people first. Mm-hmm. And that makes such a difference. Yeah, I agree. Well, playing playing in the legal profession uh, on Better Call Saul, that's not your first time either. The like, judge looking at your IMDb, which we have linked. We're gonna be sharing a lot of your links tonight through uh, Sandra and and her uh, team there as well too. But on your IMDb DB profile, you've played other uh, legal roles too, haven't you? I have, and in fact, for for Vince as well. Okay, right, right, okay, right on. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know I've got, I don't know all the questions completely, the, the audio questions, but I know there's one talking about your husband coming up because you talked about him being an editor and there's also one about the legal profession. So maybe what we'll do is we'll jump over right now uh, to the audio questions and then we'll come back okay. to more text questions. So this first one here is from Karina and I believe this one, actually I forget now, I totally forget. Hi Julie, my name is Karina. You've had some standout scenes with both Bob and Ray. What is something valuable that you learned from working with either of them? Also, were you a fan of the show before you came on it in season two? Um, I was not a fan of the show. And in fact, I did something really stupid, which I I, I almost don't know if I should share because it's so mortifying. Did you binge it or something? Uh, What? Did you binge watch it? No, No. In fact, the opposite. So when I came back in season four, Four, the greatest thing about working with Bob and Ray is it is like I I come from theater and it's like working on a play. I mean, the way we rehearse, the way we break down scenes, the way we debate stuff, it's just you're just playing. I I feel like I'm playing tennis with Serena Williams, like you're just playing at the top of your game. So when I came back in season four, this is so mortifying. I can't believe I'm admitting this. Ray calls me and says, can we get together and rehearse? And I'd never been on a show that anyone rehearsed. Mm. And I was like, absolutely. That would be amazing. And I said, are you, do you want to come to the hotel? And I said, are you staying at the same hotel? And she said, no, I actually have a place in town. And I was like, oh, do you have a couple episodes this season? <laughs> yeah. And she goes, obviously she says, actually, I, I'm the female lead on the show. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm in every episode. 
I just, she was so gracious about it and laughed about it. I was mortified. Needless to say, moments after that, I was like, well, I'm going to sit down now and watch the entire series. Yeah. So here we well, anybody else, it might have been a little bit more awkward, but being the character that she is, we've had her on the show twice. We've got to know her a little bit. You know, she is as, as kind as the kind of soul she's you could. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm sure she wouldn't make you feel even the slightest bit uncomfortable. She was awesome. She's, you know, I, I, I think I'm probably older than Ray, but I, I, she's like an older sister. She like, she, the way she's kind of helped me navigate coming in and out and been hit. She's just, she's amazing. She's really, really, she's just a good, she's a, first of all, she's a phenomenal actress and she's so smart. Yeah. She's so, both her, everyone, smart. That is like the overall overarching word of everybody on the show. They're just really smart. I, I agree with that. And I know she, I've seen interviews and I've seen quotes from her as well too. She speaks very highly of you as well too. So it's, it's oh. very nice as well. Okay. Yeah. And I would feel, I feel I'd be doing a real injustice if I didn't say this as well too. my better half Sandra here, as I mentioned at the top of the show, she was the one that said, Eric, you got to get uh, Julie on the show. Cause she really likes your character and we're going through, we're binging uh, better call Saul with her right now. And we're up to season five, which is uh, right up to that. We're actually about the seventh episode in, but she's loved your character. So I had to give her oh, credit. That's for, great. We'll tell her. Thank you. I will. I will for sure. Okay. Next question coming in. This one is from Josh Gordon. And I believe this one has to do with, uh, as we touch base that you've played other legal roles let's see what josh has to say about the legal roles hey julie josh here has playing a realistic version of a da unlike on other shows with a drumbeat changed your view at all on how the justice system works in america thanks a lot has it given you a bit of an idea on the justice system and how it works sadly yeah (laughs) yeah um, what's interesting is my son, who's 15, last not last year, because no one did anything last mm-hmm. year, but the year previous, he, in his middle school, he was on the mock trial team. And he got really, really interested in law and trying to understand it. And w- like l- looking at some of the scenes, looking at, at th- especially the thing, Ray has a line, I think it's Ray's line in season four, where she talks about e- it's not equal justice when... Um, uh, I'm about, I'm, I'm going hard on Huel, but someone pre- the, like the four other cases she presented, I didn't go as hard on. She's like, where is the equal justice? And, you know, especially with the world we're living in now and what has happened over this past year, it just becomes, it has become so clear to me that the justice system, it, the naivete that I came into the came into it with is no longer so. I, I realize that we are. It is manipulate. You it, you can manipulate it, and and that's that's so disheartening. Yeah, the deals are being made. You know, in the yep. in the hallways, and yeah. Yep. There's a there. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention other podcasts, but in no, oh, go ahead, please C- go ahead, go ahead. And I think it's season two of Serial, or maybe it's season three of Serial. They do a year in the life of a courthouse in Ohio, specifically to try and make it a nondescript courthouse. It's it's a, not a big city per se, but it's not rural. It's just sort of a generic courthouse. And you listen episode after episode how the justice system is manipulated and does not serve those who need to be served. It, it's devastating. It's really, really devastating. And I think it's the reason that my son has become so interested in social justice and wanting to work in the legal system in a different way, not, not necessarily as a DA, but, you know, for like the equity initiative project or things like that, because, you know, once you learn, you can't unlearn it. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's, you know, you don't want to use shows like Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad. I mean, Breaking Bad, if you really wanted to look at things, you could teach you how to uh, cook drugs, even though they're not using the right ways to actually teach you. Yes. But Better Call Saul, I mean, there's people looking at that. Like, I mean, one of the, we'll talk about Kushada later on. I mean, talk about it. In my opinion, your best work on the show. We'll talk more in depth about that later. But looking at that and analyzing that, you know, for the people that want to use the legal powers <laughs> for evil, yes. uh, holy cow, can the, can the court be manipulated? Yep. Yep. And, and I think to when you realize it, you also realize how racially skewed and socioeconomically skewed our justice system is. And 
I don't know how we, I don't know how we come out of it without breaking it down entirely. I mean, Mm -hmm. Trevor Noah just did this great piece where he just talked about, it's not about that there's bad apples. It's that the tree is rotten. Mm. So how do you, how do you take the whole orchard down to rebuild it? I, I don't know that you can because people are wired how people are wired. And you watch this character who does come to things with as much kind of earnestness as you would want, but ultimately she's in a system that exists the way it exists. Yeah. That's, that's a question I've never asked anybody. And you'd be the perfect person to ask this. Number one, you're friends with, with Ray. Number two, you, uh, you're, you guys are opponents on the show. And we'll talk, we'll bring, we'll talk about that word opponents later if I remember uh, too. But um, do you, what is it? Do you think like why is it okay only when it's when it's good for Kim to to bend those rules, really, really like to extreme bending of the rules? But when Jimmy does it, sometimes even to help Kim, it's taboo. Do, what do you, what do you think the reasoning is behind that in in the in the virtual world? I think that, I mean, this is total conjecture. This mm-hmm. is Julie Pearl conjecture. I think Kim, the character of Kim has this dichotomy in her makeup and she feeds it by being as altruistic in her, in her face forward legal profession. And so she justifies the other behavior because she has this coming here. It's, it's the, you know, this is a terrible analogy, but it's, I just ran five miles, so it's totally fine if I eat these five donuts. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're just you. you she's standing tall in her um, clarity, so that she can bend the rules over here. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting because I think as a viewer, you root for her to find her way, whereas you shake your head at Jimmy. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing with Walter White, right? You know, like depending on how you come in, you can watch Breaking Bad all the way through and you can hate Walter White or you can probably love him the first time, hate him the second time through, whatever. And then you've got, you know, why, why do you like Skylar or why do you dislike Skylar or why is it okay for Gus to do what he does, but not okay? You know, it's, so I, I get that. Yeah. And I think we might see the worlds and the context they live in. Like we've, we as viewers have accepted the context that Jimmy slash Saul has put himself in. So whatever he does in a, you know, in a good way, we're almost like, Oh, thank God he made a good choice. Whereas we put Kim in a totally different context. So each, each choice she makes, you're like, Oh, please don't make that choice. Mm -hmm. And look at, look at what uh, I I know I'm going to get the quote wrong, but we talked to you and I were talking about Michael McKeon off the air, but look at Chuck and Jimmy having that heart to heart. And he says, you know, you have all all the uh, right intentions for all the wrong reasons or vice versa. I forget how he said it, but you know, you know, he's trying to do good, but the more he tries, does to try to do good, he just digs himself in a hole, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get yeah. that too. We, we, ex- we accept Kim because, you know, she's got this one persona that we see all the time. And as soon as Jimmy opens his mouth, we expect him to put his foot in it somehow. Right. Yes. So that's yeah. how we're predetermined. That's, that's good writing that does that as well too. Um, so yeah, that's, that's fantastic. We have one more question. That's an audio question. And this one I believe is uh, about your husband. And this one is from Lori. Hi there, Julie. This is Lori in the movie, the substitute Two schools out you played a faculty lounge teacher. Was the part a little more fun or special because Stephen Pearl was the director? Thanks very much. So Stephen Pearl's actually my brother. Oh, see, my okay. Brother. Okay, so I yeah, wasn't sure. So, um, my whole family's in the business in some different ways. Uh, yeah, that's so funny. She saw that. Yeah, my brother, you know, threw me a bone and I went to New York and worked on it. And it was, it was so fun. It's so fun. You know, my, my brother and my father, my father's a producer as well. And they're working on something that may, 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 may come to fruition and shoot this summer. And they're well aware that there best be something in there for me. Okay. If anybody wants Thanksgiving dinner again, there best be something in there for me. So that's the condition. That's how you get a gig. Listen. Everybody does it differently. I offer fantastic grilled turkey and some good sides. So, you know, we all offer our own best, best stuff. 
Well, I'm going to probably get myself in trouble for saying this. My, my beautiful better half here, Sandra Lee, she's an amazing cook. Okay. Amazing cook. And unfortunately she doesn't get to eat the things that she likes, uh, is like she used to like, because she got diabetes, a diabetic neuropathy. And she's, you know, she's curing herself of herself of a lot of that, but man, can she cook? And there's a particular thing that she uses with Turkey. Um, but I want to add, this is a good time to ask a question. Tom Schnauz, uh, kind of coined this, this, uh, answer here in the Gilliverse, this imaginary place where we take off and a rocket ship every Friday night too. We go into this Gilliverse that contains all of Gint's, uh, Vince Gilligan's, uh, I almost did a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Pig Latin there. Um, yeah. anyways, this imaginary place we go to, it has a smell and it smells like this and smells like this. And we ask each guest each week, what does it smell like there? So it's a two part answer. It's this and this, what would you think, uh, does it smell like in the Gilliverse? Oh my God. Um, I kind of think it smells like smoke, like cigarette smoke. Okay. That's okay. Does <laughs> okay. <laughs> that wrong? <laughs> yep. Okay. And you got one more. Um, I think it smells like cigarette smoke and, but like really good coffee too. Okay. I like that. I like that. Uh, but it's incorrect there. And actually there is uh, there is a correct answer and it's bacon and fear. Oh, yes. So bacon and fear. My first guess was Coca-Bola wood. Uh, you know, Jimmy really wanted this desk and I don't even know what my other answer was, but one of our fans and friends, Arctic Sakai, she's probably, uh, she is in the chat. She, she went through and watched every one of our episodes and I haven't asked it every single time. I forget. And I always like to ask it, but she took the clips and assembled a video and it's on our channel. We've had like, uh, we had Tina Parker on, you know, Francesca just a, a few episodes back and she's like fear and regret. No, uh, a cigarette smoke is cigarette smoke and regret. I think it was, oh, there's just so, so many good ones. That's a good one. I mean, you all also could have said it smelled like you know rotisserie chicken yeah it worked too yes yeah right yeah las polos yeah yeah las polos is that yeah polos i think it's a proper pronunciation yeah um there's a, a karina sent me a message and she said because you talked earlier about working on a project with vince gilligan and i didn't know about this one uh battle creek right yep can you tell us a little bit about that i don't even know if vince realizes that i was on battle creek to be honest <laughs> Um, so what's interesting about Battle Creek is the character was supposed to be a man and I knew someone involved in the show. And I said, is there any way they would read a woman on this part? Is there any reason that it couldn't be a woman? And my friend said, no, I mean, I guess we could read a woman where you'd be the only woman we're reading. And I said, okay. <laughs> so when it came down to it, it was because it was a pilot, it had to get network approval and whatever. And there was two guys and me and my friend who was kind of, you know, throwing my name in the ring, she couldn't say anything. So she was just, you know, stone faced, like, you know, I think they're all great. Like whoever you guys want to go for. And then they chose me and she was like, that's my <laughs> That's fantastic. I, yeah. I I think anything just being associated anything with what Vince puts his name to is just just it's going to be great. Yeah. Yes. He he is the menchiest man I think I've ever worked with in thirty years of doing this. And does he does he I I I know the answer to this, but I'm just as someone who works on the show, does he bring the like him and Peter Gould, of course, now more, more so um, in when you'll be seeing a lot more of Vince Gilligan in season six uh, involvement. But does do they bring a lot of the best out of the actors? I've never worked on an episode with Vince. Uh, I worked on El Camino with Vince, mm -hmm. so that. But even that, I mean. He was so gracious and so inclusive and making sure that I understood why I was there and what was going on and what he wanted out of me being there. He's just, he's, he remembers everything. He and Peter remember everything. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. It's incredible. Some and I think the reason that people talk about this family environment, you know, it, it trickles down from the top and that's how they set it up. Yeah. That, that's where, you know, you, I, I see tears come to people's eyes. You know, I hate to ask the question and I'll ask you later on too. And we'll talk about it as far as the show coming to an end, which is closer than we, we'd like it to be. And there's a lot of tears, you know, Tom, you know, he gets choked up a little bit about it. it's his family. Right. And, uh, you know, of course, Bob and, and Ray and, and uh, you know, it's going to be tough for everybody to, to say goodbye yeah. for a while, you know, and, and who knows what's coming up. But uh, this was something that was shared by Giancarlo when he was on the show uh, just a few weeks back, a couple weeks back and goes to, it's a real 
testament to to Vince's character. So in Breaking Bad, uh, did you watch some of Breaking Bad? You didn't know much about the shows, but did you go back and watch some Breaking Bad? So, you know, uh, face off, obviously, when Walt and uh, Walt, you know, decides to take out uh, Gus, you know, but with Hector Salamanca um, there at the scene there, when as soon as he comes out, he does his tie, whatever, and he's about to collapse. Um, they were going to have the nurses aides. I don't even know if you know this, but come running to, to Gus. Right. And you know, are you okay, sir? You know, whatever. And, and, and I guess Vince had said something along the lines to Giancarlo, well, Giancarlo, what would you do here? And he says, have them never reach me. Right. So he had literally asked him what he would do. And that yeah. is the final yeah. scenes that we saw. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, that the collaboration, that's what, that's what makes it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you think about that, if the, if the AIDS had reached Gus, it would have really give you a different feeling, wouldn't it? Like they, they yeah. would, we'd see their shock as opposed to us feeling the shock. Yes. 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 It take it, it, it takes it out of you being part of the story. Yeah. We're the victim as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And and as as well too, so you mentioned El Camino. And I mean obviously it was a small part in El Camino, but just to be continued that story and the character is continued over and a red carpet premiere for that as well. That must have been a blast. That was so fun. I mean, the whole thing was so fun. I remember when Sharon called me and was like, Vince wants you to come do something. I can't tell you what it is. And it's there's not really gonna be much. Would you be willing to? I I said, <laughs> um, if Vince Gilligan called me and said, would you run naked around the kitchen? Unless there was a really good reason not to, my answer is yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, I, you know what? I hope Tom Schnauz doesn't have that same answer. <laughs> I hope that. No, no, I, I don't want to see that. And Because Tom would do it. Tom, Tom would do it yeah. if I asked him to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, we don't want to do that. Um, I think that's it for all of our audio questions. But one of the things I wanted to bring up, people probably saw these bobbleheads sitting behind me here. Your very first episode... Um, season two, episode seven, inflatable, which is, which was a phenomenal episode, uh, for, to set the context for people that don't know, we won't give any real spoilers, but Jimmy wants to get fired from one of his positions and he's going to all extremes to, to basically get fired. So, uh, basically to be fired for being an ass so he can still keep his, uh, signing bonus, you know, and it's a substantial bonus. So he starts wearing extravagant, loud clothing and it was kind of the first little tease of the transformation, uh, transformation of Jimmy McGill into Saul Goodman. So yeah. our, our friends uh, at uh, bobbleheads.com who are also our show sponsor here, they re- just released this today. So this is a world exclusive. I showed you off the air, yeah. but this is the Saul Goodman bobblehead. I'm showing it to the right camera here now. And these are available right now exclusively, only right now at the Breaking Bad store in Albuquerque. So we have links to that and Sandra and her team are going to be sharing those links as well too. But it's very, um, it's, so go get them there and then eventually they're going to be available worldwide everywhere. Uh, so those links are down below. But it was very significant that your first episode had a lot to do with our sponsor yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I would love to sit down with Vince and Peter and the, you know, the writers who have been there forever and say, I want to know how you broke down the seasons. Like you knew you had your start in episode one and you know, eventually you have to back up to breaking bad. So I want to know how you guys broke this down. I, I know each season you're breaking it, but I'd like to know what was your arc? How did you imagine it? How has it changed from 2015 or 16 or whenever we started? Like I, I would love to ha- to understand that trajectory. Yes, I know. And the and the writers including Tom, everybody, they always talk about getting and Vince talked about this quite often as well too about they, they almost like without using the word like to paint themselves into a corner. Okay, we're going to get into this corner now. How do we get out of it? And it's yeah. just amazing cuz what we think they're going to do like everyone in the world is thinking, well, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of people are thinking they're going to kill off Kim Wexler, you know, cuz she's not in Breaking Bad. And I think that's such an easy thing for them to do. It'd be so easy, you know. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think it's going to, I mean, you know, I I have my own ways that I'm advocating for how Kim goes (laughs) that have to do with me. Yeah. But I I mean, it would be too easy to kill her off. It's too too obvious. Yeah. I mean, you look back when she's heading out, uh, you know, in the, the car scene where she falls asleep and she crashes at the wheel. Uh, and you know that she could have died there technically they could have written her off right there easily um but they didn't and we're expecting a death and that's where we're, i don't think we're going to see that so that's that's a corner they've got themselves into because honestly i don't think they, they and they've both talked about this both tom and, and vince and peter has talked about this as well all three of them how she was such a find 
you know, uh, Ray Seahorn uh, as an actor was so such a fine for the show. They had no idea what even that character was going to be, be become. Yeah. So they got to be very delicate in how they handle her, uh, you know, uh, and talking to Tom and, and other people, they're, they're happy with where they are. They're up to, they're up to um, episode 13, the final. They've got them all written. They're happy where they, where they went. Um, I think we're going to have a good ending. I think we need to break into that room. I know, I know. <laughs> well, all the cards are at Tom's house. Not that I should be, well, everyone knows it. Did, Tom was on the show. He showed, he has all the index cards from season one through 13. And there was only one missing, one set. So they're all in an envelope, right? And there was one set missing because he was still finishing an episode in the other room. And I was, uh, uh, so he's written a couple episodes, but that one he was finishing. And I was joking with him. I said, what happens like if, you're, if your kids come up to you and say, hey, daddy, look what I drew for you on this card. And it's one, you know, one of the show index cards, but he's got all of them. Wow. So I asked him if there's going to be like a armored truck that pulls up, you know, <laughs> you know, to protect these things. Right. Uh, we do have another text question that's come in now from the chat. Uh, this is from Robin Salazar. She says, uh, what is your favorite restaurant when you are in Albuquerque? So, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. It's there's two. Well, first of all, um, Los Poblanos, which is at that gorgeous resort is exceptional exceptional, stunning, beautiful, but there's a little ramen place on, I mean, I know how to get to it. Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's this big. Wait, I have to look it up. Online. Okay. I do it. Sure. It, it's so good. I really wanted, I, I really want, wait, I don't know. I'll look it up. But no this problem. little ramen, it's a tiny mom and pop ramen place. And I was so not expecting to find ramen, like good ramen in yeah. Albuquerque. And it was phenomenal. I, I, a lot of our viewers actually live in Albuquerque, so that they'll they'll know either know of it or they'll be checking it out. Or some of our, our friends and viewers as well, too, are going to be visiting there. So they'll check it out as well, too. Yeah, when you, when you as soon as you see it, just hit, hit us up. I, I wonder if this is, oh, yeah, I think that, wait, I have to look. I think this is it. I think it was called, I'm going to so murder this name. So forgive me. Ma hmm, I don't even want to say it because I'm embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> Mago Coro. Okay. And it's on Manual. Manal, I mean. It's on Manal. Okay. Yes, that's what I think it's called. Mago okay. Coro. It was so good. Perfect. Good. Well, check it out. Anybody in the area, be sure to check that out. Um, okay. This one is from Renata. Renata says, obviously your character thought Jimmy was shady, uh, but did you ever think he was, uh, likewise brilliant and cunning? Yes. Yes. This, the scene, the scene with the elevator was the best. You know, he wants to get 20 minutes of your time. You're on the books 20 minutes, uh, you know, the next week, but, uh, you know, t he works out a deal with the maintenance staff there and breaks the elevator for exactly 20 minutes. I mean, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yes. It, 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 I think she, I think Erickson knows she's always dealing. She's always dealing with him and, and dealing with a capital D and I, I don't know if she respects him per se, but she understands his kind. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And he, he is such a likable character. You know, he, I mean, he, he has potential to, I mean, even Howard has said he's noticed how good of a lawyer he is. He's actually, Howard gets jealous, you know, of him after a while of how good he is, you know, and knows he'll be a good asset on HHM, uh, on, on that team. But Jimmy obviously wants nothing to do with that, but he is a damn good lawyer. Yes. Yes. I mean, that, that's the worst part of it. He's, he can worm his way and think like back to what we were saying. He knows how to manipulate the system better than anybody. Mm-hmm. If I'm out there breaking bad in any kind of way and I have a choice of, uh, you know, I love Patrick Fabian, don't get me wrong, but if I'm, if we're being, you know, uh, you know, uh, hypothesizing here, if I'm going to have Howard Hamlin or Saul Goodman or Jimmy McGill represent me, I'm taking Jimmy any day of the week. Yes. Well, first of all, you'd save a lot of money. Yes. So <laughs> I, I, exactly. Yeah, he's he's going to find the loophole and he's going to exploit it to the grayest area. You know, when they're talking about all that stuff with, um, Oh my God. I just totally forgot the name with the, you know, the land deal. Uh, oh, with Mesa Verde. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Woo. Yep. But like watching how he even figured all those pieces out. I mean, that, that, uh, 
so good. Oh, I know. That was, I would love to see what was deleted from that. You know, I haven't seen all the yeah. deleted scenes from that, but I mean, everything from the, the seeing Jesus on the, on the fence to the lead, yep. uh, the, uh, the Indian artifacts, you yep. know, oh my God, yep. it just goes on and on and on. On and on and on. It was just, every piece of it was covered. It was so good. Yep. And the sheriff got to make a call, got to make a call. Yep. It was, it was just, it was great. And then this is the dialogues, even things that weren't even spoken. It was just, was so powerful. Yeah. Um, here's a really good question. This is from uh, the Vivid Kiwi. He does a really good YouTube channel with a lot of theories. I, I really like that channel. Um, and this obviously we're just theorizing here. Is ADA Erickson potentially interested in catching Jesse Pinkman? Do you think? I, I don't think it's a theory. I mean, when you think about, uh, El Camino, mm-hmm. that's why she was there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. He, he escaped. He's and a survivor. She, she was the DA at that point. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You got a, uh, she got a promotion. Yes. That's why she had the fancy jacket. If this <laughs> was ADA, she wouldn't have had such a fancy jacket. Yeah. So, uh, you'd be, uh, she'd be a little step up above eating the chips like, uh, Peter does from the vending machine. I assume. Right. Did you have yes. nicer chips? But so much better. So much better. Yeah. Peter, Peter shared a, a story with us. Uh, you'd be privy to this, of, of course. But he was saying one particular scene, I forget which one it was. I think it's where, where uh, Jimmy's uh, um, video crew there, you know, drama girl and sound guy and everybody, they were coming to the courthouse and he's got his new business car, whatever. And uh, um, uh, Bill Oakley's walking down the hall and he's got a bag of Fritos, something like, or yeah, I think it was Fritos. And he takes a couple of bites, whatever. And they had to do so many takes. And each time they had to give him another bag of Fritos because he had to physically rip the bag open. Yeah. So at the end of shooting, he, he must've had probably, you know, half a dozen or not more bags of these Fritos. So the, the props department gave him a whole bag after dumped all the open bags and he took all these Fritos home. He goes, I was so sick of Fritos by the, the end of that shoot. <laughs> But his character, I mean, you just love him. You know, coffee's tipped over in the coffee machine. I mean, when he gets a chance to have a real burger from Jimmy, it was like you and I going out for a steak or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. hilarious. So it's good to know about that as well, too. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the family environment. We're going to kind of go back a little bit. You know, everyone's talking about these this umbrella of things that Vince has done. Um, and you found the same thing you, you find? Like everyone's like family there? Oh, God. I mean... It is the best job I've ever had, for sure. Because I, um, Michael came up to me two seasons ago, and we, you know, our worlds don't meet. And he's like, I've been wanting to meet you. Just, I think your work is so great. And, you know, he's like the, the major character of the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was so generous of spirit. And the fact that, Anytime I've been on set, they ask, you know, everyone make sure that you're covered. Do you have rehearsal space? Are you ready? Just everybody from like whoever's running craft services to hair and makeup to wardrobe. And I do think it's because it's it's been the same crew and everybody's involved. There's just no one who doesn't matter. And I think that's incredible. And I think everyone is a fan, even though they're employed, they take a paycheck home. They are fans of the production. Yes. And and I, and I think a big piece of it comes from the writing is so good. It's so good. It's so precise and intentional and conscientious that you're dealing with, you know, you're playing, like I said earlier, you're playing a level up. Mm-hmm. And so everyone levels up. I, I think it makes a big difference and, and everybody respects what everybody else, I, because I don't think there's anything extraneous. No one is on the show for filler. Mm-hmm. So everybody makes, everybody makes the whole world exist. And so I think that creates that kind of familial feel that you feel like you're part of something. And, and you, you know, I agree with you 100%. And I'm just, you know, I'm sad to see this thing come to an end, but I'm also very happy for the writing staff as well, too, because they're so good. I know that there's going to be a lot of productions blessed with some really, really good talent. 
And that's something I was talking to, to my better half Sandra about the other day too. The women uh, involved in Vince's productions, it's a very, very, very powerful uh, organization. And I, I mean, that's from the writers and from the writer's room to cast and crews such as yourself, uh, you know, uh, cast on the, on the, on the screen. It's a very, um, powerful female dominated, um, place. Yeah. And it's good to see. And and I, what I think is going to be hard for all of us who've been involved in this in any way is when you step into the next job, we, we all now have kind of this expectation of, of how you should play. Mm -hmm. And, unfortunately all of Hollywood doesn't work like that. I, I mean, it, it is a real gift. It is a real gift. And also, just like you said, the, the, the way the women in this world, both on camera and off camera are held in esteem without being precious. Mm-hmm. I, I think we will all have a moment of, huh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to leave the cocoon. I know. Yeah. I don't think you can find a weak woman on the show. No, you, you can't. I mean, I certainly would not want to cross, uh, Erickson's path. I mean, seriously, I'd be like, sorry, I'm sorry. I, I just wouldn't, I would not, you yeah. know, th- there's strength there and it's, it's nice. It's, it's admirable. And I've had, I think we've had two of, uh, we've had both Jennifer Hutchison on the show and we've had uh, Heather Marion on the show, both responsible for some incredible episodes and, yeah. you know, it's, you know, women in the workplace in the writer's room sometimes. I, I have another good friend, Glenn Mazzara, who is uh, big with Walking Dead. Obviously, he was a showrunner there for for some time. He did Damien uh, as well, too. And he's a real advocate for, for uh, well, diversity of all types in, in the writer's room, but a, a big push uh, for equal, equal, equal rights with women and especially in the writer's room. So hats off to, to Vince for, and the for whole sure. team. I mean, even the Ellen, Fol- uh, Eileen Fogarty played, um, can't remember her character's name, but she owned the nail salon. Oh yes, yes, yes. And Gwen. Yes. Yeah. Even her character was badass. I know. Like, you know what I mean? There was, you were not, I mean, I, I remember there was one scene where she's like, reading Jimmy the riot act about who he needs to be to like step it up a bit. Yeah. Like, you take her out for dinner. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I appreciate that. There's, there's no, you know, wilting flowers around. No. And the only thing she did, and it was not weakness. It was kindness. Uh, the only thing that she did that she let her guard down is uh, she brought him a drink of tequila or whatever it was, or vodka, I forget what it was. And she pours him a cup back in his little hole in the wall, the back of the yeah. salon. And then she ends up saying, here, you keep the whole bottle. That was yeah. nice. That was just a yeah. nice gesture. She wouldn't let him drink yes. the cucumber water, but she gave him the bottle. Yes, but she she was, you know, another strong female character. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. There isn't, there isn't a weak one uh, at all. Uh, here is a question from one of our members and our friends, Lori, she had the question earlier, uh, about Steven. She says, what do you prefer? And she puts in brackets, money aside, theater or theater or TV and movies. I mean, theater, theater. I'm from Chicago and I, I came up in Chicago during a time when like, to be an actor in Chicago, a theater actor, it was like being at summer camp. You know, we worked at the equity stages. We worked at the crappy stages. I worked in the basement with the rats. I mean, it just, there was a, there was a real kind of like, I got to burn. I got some costumes. Let's put on a show. And, and you really felt a sense of community the you were learning. I never took an acting class in Chicago because we were always working. We were always learning on our feet. And I'm, I miss that. I did a play here. I don't know, five years ago. And it's hard. I, I, it's hard to do a play in LA because you're up against traffic, getting to and from rehearsal Mm. and to and from the, the theater for performance. And if you have kids you're dealing with childcare. And so it becomes cost prohibitive. Now my kids are older and I could go back into theater and I would love to, I would love to do a play, but I'm also not willing to do some of the crap I did when I was in my Mm -hmm. 20s, because that's what you're supposed to do in your 20s. You're supposed to do existential BS that you think you're like changing the world. And then you realize it's just total crap. Mm -hmm. Busting your chops a little bit. Yes, exactly. So I, I do. 
theater's my first love. Is is it also the sense for you, or maybe for some other actors, uh, it may be different, but is it the, also the sense of not having that safety net sometimes that you have in a production? Well, okay, oh, that was a bad take. Let's do it again. Maybe just try it with a little bit more flair. I mean, you're flying by the seat of your pants. If something doesn't execute properly, uh, you know, and that really has to teach, gives yeah, you the talent. You have a connection with the audience. You, you really have to show up. And, and you have a, this incredible opportunity to create the performance new and fresh every single time. Whereas in TV, you are obligated to find a, for continuity. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to, if my hand was here and now they're doing a take from over here, my hand still has to be here. Yeah. So while the performance still becomes fresh, there, there's marks you have to hit because there's, there's a, you know, there's technically stuff that you can't deny. Yeah. Whereas in theater, you have a different freedom for it. And I agree with you, you know, that the potential to fall on your face is exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, you never know, right? And as a musician, that's kind of like in my old days of performing, you would you would go to a place where, okay, you you play a nice venue, great production, everything, and you think it's going to be the greatest thing ever and something falls flat. Either yeah. you're not on your on your toes or the audience isn't reacting with you 100%. And then you go to another gig and it's like, a, you know, a small, well, you a small town, Ontario, Canada, small little tiny country town. And you, and it's a, you know, a horse and buggy type of a place. And you go in, you're thinking this is going to be the worst gig you've ever played in your life. And it turns out to be the best gig you've ever played in your life. Yeah. You know, so you never know. Right. And that's how you have to all that muscle memory from theater and rehearsing and, bu you know, busting your chops will pay off dividends down yes. the road. Yes. Yes. But but to that end, I would I would give my eye teeth to to step into a theater and go into rehearsal. I love that. I think that's the reason why I love doing this show so much. I love the process of here's your script. There's 17 different ways we can look at the scene. Let's break it apart. Let's rebuild it. Let's argue it out. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Here's a good one. This is from my better half, Sandra. I, I love this question. She says, uh, going back again to, you know, talking about uh, how the women, you know, uh, with Jimmy, uh, could it be the mother in these women attracted them to Jimmy waiting to help or take care of him. I like that. It's so interesting. I've, I've really thought like, does, does Suzanne, is she married? Does she have kids? Mm -hmm. And I don't think she does. I think she's married to her work. I think so too. And I think there's, there's this, you know, piece of her that is like, why are you? You could be so good. What is your problem? <laughs> but ultimately, doesn't have a, a strong maternal streak that she's interested in taking on that project. Yeah. I, I think she rolls her eyes a lot at him. I think so. I, th I think Suzanne needed a good date. I think she did. Yeah, I don't. I don't think she's married either. And I, I'm. I'm sure that's on paper somewhere. I'm going to see if I can pick Tom's brain and find out. So you, you don't know, do you? No. Okay, we'll find out. If, if there is an answer to it, I'll let you know. Okay. Yes, I would like to. I'll let you know. So that's a good one, Sandra. Uh, this is from Andrea. Uh, oh, this, good question as well, too. Uh, Andrea from Germany. She says, did you see Bob's film Nobody yet? No. Um, we want to wait and see it on the big screen. Good. That would be the best place to, to watch it. Here in, in yeah. our part of Ontario, Canada, um, our small theater, or well, it's not a small theater, a small city, uh, it's quarantined. So we, they haven't had movies since the pandemic started. So that's terrible but we did rent it on demand here and uh, it was good it was it was it was good and you know potential for for more of him in in that style which is good yeah. so yeah. Yeah. yeah you know my again my husband being a film editor and although we do have a room set up that's sort of like a screening room i think he would like to see it on the big screen so we're going to do that and not that good good well i can't wait for you to to see it and speaking of editors we're gonna have some of the editing staff on the show here soon too i won't say who yet but that's coming up so uh keep your ears open for that one here as well too uh, another question from one of our members josh gordon he had the question earlier about uh you know did the legal profession teach you uh or the role about the legal profession uh says did you write a backstory oh did you write a backstory for yourself so that we don't know about uh if she's married or not but erickson is so brilliant but as a da while she could work for a film uh a firm like Rich Weichart, she can see through the BS. So it would be neat to know some of the backstory a little bit for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in season five, when her shoes are off mm -hmm. and 
I was like, I think she has a pedicure and I need to decide what color her toes are going to be. And there was this whole kind of like character study for me. Like, I think she has crazy red toes because she's secretly really ballsy and nobody knows a it. Firecracker. You know? so yeah. It's fun to find those tiny little characteristics that you, that just like hint at the, the underpinnings. When, when you got the role, did they give you a couple paragraphs of what she's all about? No. No, really? Okay. Nope. So you yeah, nope. just get the script and, and just roll with it. Yep. Yep. That's cool. I, you know, I'm not sure that when they built the role originally that Erickson was going to have, like, uh, there was another guy in the scene with me and he hasn't come back. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw, I, I was on your, as I told you earlier, I was on your Instagram page and you had that shot where you and, uh, where it was Suzanne and Jimmy were in the, uh, in the elevator and one of your friends had actually commented, said something like nice pedicure or something of that nature <laughs> of all the things they'd noticed. Right. Yeah. Um, as we're getting closer to the end of the hour here, are there any things that you've got coming up uh, project wise that you're, a, you are able to talk about or anything you're excited so about? Funny. I was just thinking like, am I allowed to say, I think I am. I just worked on, um, uh, I did an episode of Generation, which is on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. I did a couple episodes of American Crime Story, the impeachment of Bill Clinton that will be, you know, next year, mm -hmm. which is um, fascinating. Just the whole story is fascinating. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else coming out. No, that's that's it for right now. What's well, that's enough. That's good. It is. It is. And I think there's actually, there's something else, but I, I don't think I'm allowed to say it. I, I never know what I'm allowed to say anymore. Always err on the side of caution for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do hope, I, I know this as well too, you don't know a lot yet of what's coming up for, for season six, but I hope we get to see you on the screen at least one more time. And if for fans that really love you, I know we can be greedy but several times. We'd love to see you, but fingers crossed that we get to see you. But, you know, outside of, you know, the role that you play, you are a fan of the show now. Are, are you looking forward to seeing how these stories, these stories? Oh my God, I'm desperate. Like knowing that Tom has all those cards, there's like the little part of me that feels like I throw on the black hat and I like under the cloak of night. I know. I'm not going to Tom, but I just say. <laughs> no, for the right price, I have Tom's address. <laughs> I do have his address, but uh, no, I, I can't be bought. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I know. But yeah. no, I'm so curious. I'm so curious. I know. I am really looking forward to it. I mean, we've got some some big eyes on a few people for sure. I mean, what's going to happen to Nacho? Uh, you know, uh, Nacho's dad, uh, yeah. Lalo, and of course, everyone's fear, Kim Wexler. But I mean, I, I think, you know, actually, maybe we could go back and, and we talk about theories earlier. You know, Kim's really enjoying this, this hell bent for leather, you know, um, shady stuff. Who knows? Maybe some of that shady stuff gets her into some trouble that she can't get I out mean, of. I mean, I would, I think Erickson should get her disbarred. You know? It, I don't know why they're not asking me for storylines. <laughs> She could do it, right? She could certainly right. do it. I mean, yeah. you know, she showed zero fear, you know, when, when uh, you know, back in the, in the, the Cushada episode, you know, walking in with a team of assistants, you know, it. I don't totally. care. I don't care how many people there's, you come in. There's one scene, there's that one scene right at the end of that scene. I, I said to, to Ray at the end of it, I was like, I kind of want to smack you with that smug look on your face. I just want to smack you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, do you talk to the, the cast and crew a lot? Like I, like I know you're good friends with Ray now, like uh, outside of the show, do you keep in touch uh, fairly regularly? You know, text here and there, like I said, Patrick and I know, you know, have other friends in common and you know, we'll text over the year, but yeah. I, I think it was, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it was Patrick telling me about Ray or Ray telling me about Patrick, but they were each saying how they would text each other back and forth and say, I'm still alive in this. I'm still alive in this episode. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had that conversation once with Patrick too. And like just checking in, you're still here. Yep. Still here. Still alive, still alive and breathing. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it, and Howard gets so much grief too. I mean, he, you know, he can, he can come across as such an ass, but you know, he's, he's got protocol to follow as well too. It's not just Hamlin, you know, on the sign, you know, he's got other protocol he's got to follow, but he doesn't get the, he always gets the, uh, the short end of the stick, doesn't he? Yes, he does. But there's something so smarmy about it. Yeah, he's getting. He does look good in that suit. 
He does look good in that suit. He should definitely steal all the suits when the show's over. Now, when when Jimmy went crazy and had all, I mean, every single color, every color he tried on, I mean, he rocked that suit. But he didn't look as good as Howard in in the uh, the Ham Lindigo blue suit, did he? No, nope. No, nope. it's one person and one person else. It's like Johnny Bravo. Yes, Do you remember that? Yep. Oh, for it's sure, for fit. sure. That's that's right. If it's, it's the right person, it, only that person can get away with it, right? And that's yeah. like we're talking about with Jimmy wearing that that salmon color. I'm not even sure what yeah. color that is, but yeah. you, I mean, I would never in a million well, I mean, years. It's, it's why Jen should get an Emmy award because how she is costumed the show is just genius. It's just genius. Now, she's created characters within the costumes. Yes, exactly. And that's that's things that uh, and like Dave Porter with the music. We talked about him yeah. off the air as well, too. Yeah. These people are and Brian Cranston's even gone as far to say as as uh, Dave Porter's music is is just as much a character as all of you guys are. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. the costume the, is just amazing. And the prop department, yeah. you know, everything yeah. that is touched is a prop and yep. painstakingly the art. Did you know that? Did you know the art in uh, in over Kim's bed is she, uh, Ray did that herself? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know she painted. I didn't know that was Those hers. are all hers. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that till she told us as well, too. We, before she come on, the, well, when she was on the show, we, you know, just like you and I were talking off the air, I think Tom and I had her on the air a good 15 minutes before the show. And this is something I know you'll appreciate because you know Ray personally. We, we could have did a whole show of that episode talking about um, hurting ourselves and our parents' 1970s furniture. Remember back <laughs> in the day how nothing was safe? You know, like, I mean, you know, you and I probably. I had two older brothers, so nothing was safe and nothing was safe because my brothers thought I was just a vehicle by which to hurt each of them with. Indestructible. Yeah. 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 I'm sure like you and and my better half here, you probably rode in the backseat of a station wagon facing the opposite way. No seatbelt. Right. Yep. Yes. That seatbelts are just advised. Yeah. Some cars didn't even have them, you know, and if you had them, they were just advised, you know, if you feel like wearing a seatbelt, it might keep you from going through the windshield. But yeah, we're talking about like cutting ourselves on coffee tables and, uh, you know, and it was just so fun. Everybody ended up in the hospital with stitches for some coffee table issue or something. I mean, my, I I tell the story all the time. My kids think it's hysterical. My brothers, we lived in a two-story house and my brothers used to hold me over the second story banister and throw me in the air and threaten to drop me. These are like the charming memories of my childhood. Oh, I have now a, DCFS would totally remove the child from the home. Oh, I know. I know. And it'd, and it'd be all over the news. It'd be on TMZ. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I have a fear of heights, a terrible fear of heights because of my sisters. I'm not sure which one it is. I have twin sisters uh, and I forget who it was. I can blame both of them because they both look the same. As they, well you should. Yeah. When I was about two or three, they hung me over Niagara Falls. I mean, they hung me over the freaking g- g- uh, rail, like Michael Jackson with his kid, you know, over the balcony. Oh, and it's so on to this day, if someone comes up and if I'm near looking over something like this and they touch me, it's like, I just freak right out. Maybe I mean, that's why I'm scared of heights because of them holding me over the banister. That's it, so interesting. It could be. I'm sure if you got hypnotized and went through some therapy, you might not like your brothers oh, as exactly. much. I don't think there's enough therapy in the world to get through what my brother's tormented. We no. But, but, you know, it really just made me appreciate her, you know, I mean, take away what she does on the show. You know, it's just like, I totally forgot about Better Call Saul for 15 minutes. It was just so cool being yeah. real, right? And yeah. and I get that with you as well, too. I, and I, yeah. you know, we're at the end of the hour here. But I really appreciate your time. I know people had a, a great laugh as well. We love your character and wish you the greatest success with Better Call Saul and everything else as well. Thanks so much. So great to talk to you. This was super fun. This has been great. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day Thank to you. my better half, Sandra Thank Lee here, to all the moms in the chat and to your moms. Uh, you know, uh, uh, both of uh, our parents or our moms are gone here, so we don't get to spend time with them, but we know they're watching and we hope we you have a safe spend time with my mommy. So. That yeah. will be good. Yes. Well, have a, have a good one for sure. And don't go away. I'll say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone have a fantastic weekend. Uh, come and see us next week. Same time. Uh, we have uh, at nine o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We've got from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, Stephen Michael Casada is on the show. We're looking forward to that. And uh, I know he was with you at the premiere of El Camino, even though he wasn't in the movie. It was very cool. And I do have to, I have to go through a list here because I, I, I don't want to forget anybody. And it's, it's very easy to do as we're saying goodbye. First and foremost, as I mentioned her name multiple times tonight, Sandra Lee is our executive producer of the show, uh, mother of our son, Eric Jr., who and it's our anniversary this weekend. So uh, 
love this woman to death. Uh, a big thank you to our show sponsors, Warner Rachel at bobbleheads.com. Our channel moderators, our Patreon supporters, our members, YouTube subscribers, our super chatters, PayPal donators, and those that purchase our merchandise like you're seeing me wearing right here from our store at the Broadstash Boutique. And if you want to find us on social media, you can follow us at Instagram and Facebook at Inside the Gilliverse. We'll have an audio podcast of this one up on iTunes and wherever you get your good audio content, probably by tomorrow or the next day. And we'll look forward to having you as a subscriber here. If you haven't done so already, hit the subscribe button and we'll work just as hard to keep you as we did to get you. And I need to take a breath and we'll see you all very soon. And until next time, cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gilliverse with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul.